This is Binod Shankar and you're listening to the Real Finance Mentor podcast from the realfinancementor.com. The Real Finance Mentor is your go-to resource for insight and inspiration on careers in finance, CFA and more. I would think why this podcast? Well, my goal is to deliver insight and inspiration for your finance career by making it one relatable. This is not theoretical stuff. We zero in on the critical practical issues. Number 2, authentic. No bullshit, no sidestepping. The topics, guests and questions are all from that perspective. And number 3, take a chartered accountant CFA charter holder, add 17 plus years as a corporate warrior, mix in 10 years of entrepreneurship, through a decade of full-time CFA training, add speaking, mentoring, cycling and mountaineering, and that's me. Welcome to the real finance mentor, or as I call it, RFM. Hi everyone, welcome to yet another episode of the Real Finance Mentor podcast. the podcast that delivers insight and inspiration to drive your career now this episode in stark contrast to most rfm episodes isn't an interview with another guest it's a solo episode featuring yours truly which is what happens when i get hit with some interesting thoughts that i feel i must share with my audience let me start by saying that i'm an endurance athlete what that means specifically is that i'm a hiker mountaineer and long distance cyclist and i've been doing this for the last almost uh, 14 years now i have summited 13 mountains across europe africa nepal and india including seven 5000 plus meter mountains the peak list is long but includes mount kilimanjaro in tanzania at 5895 meters the highest in africa and the world's highest freestanding mountain and one of the seven summits The list also includes Mount Elbrus in Russia at 5642 meters the highest mountain in Europe and one of the seven summits um the highest i've ever been to is Mera Peak in Nepal at 6476 meters my latest summit success was Kanyakse 2 which stands 6250 meters tall in the dark india and that was in July 2022 cycling is another passion It all started with the 1.2 kilometer long Cape Argus ride in South Africa in March 2008, a non-stop ride that started and ended in Cape Town, and took me by vineyards, ostrich farms, quaint little towns, the seaside, up some cliffs, etc. On a weekend when thousands lined the roads to cheer the 35,000 odd road cyclists, I've also cycled from Manali to Leh to Kadungla in India. with 22 others this was a 10 day 500 km long adventure through freezing mountain passes as high as 5500 meters above sea level and through wide flat plains and camping in tents overnight before starting cycling at 7 am the next day in 2014 i cycled from pune to goa in india a distance of about 450 km over five back to back days with about 18 others This is another tough trip on rolling terrain that ended on the flat and sunny Mandram beach in Goa. Why am I talking about all this? Why should you be interested? Because it struck me that there are many life and career lessons learned from adventure. It's not just at least for me about the preparation, the big physical effort, the instagramable pictures or the facebook posts. So from long distance cycling to hiking to high altitude mountaineering here are 12 ways an extended outdoor activity can change your life 
in no particular order. Number one, you get a sense of awe and how small you and your problems are. You look at the distant snow-capped peaks and your mind starts operating differently. The majesty of the mountains, forests, valleys, oceans and rivers strikes you immediately. You think of how many millions of years they have been around. You think of how long before you were born they existed and how long after you are gone they will still be around. The key thoughts that come to mind are longevity, permanence, infinity. In the context of all this, your mortality becomes glaringly clear and your problems, both professional and personal, will seem trivial and almost absurd in comparison. Which is probably why some say that many of the contemporary men mental illnesses like depression, anxiety, is due to a lack of contact with nature, the time spent outside this pervasive concrete jungle that we spend time in is one effective and sustainable way to get back to reality and hence sanity. At least that's what Johan Hari emphasizes in his insightful book, Lost Connections, which you must read if you get a chance. It does make sense after all, for hundreds of thousands of years, we wandered as foragers and hunters in the wild and that's our natural habitat. And that's where we came from. Lesson number two, you get physically fitter. Sustained endurance activity can burn calories and fat like crazy. So even if you eat a lot, you burn far more than you eat. You also build cardiovascular capacity as the heart and lungs work harder and get stronger. Your muscles and joints get stronger as you move, especially if you're carrying a backpack when you're hiking or mountaineering. Lesson number three, you breathe in far cleaner air. The air in some cities are not just unhealthy, it's downright dangerous and it's, it can eventually kill you. Homes, vehicles and industries all emit this life-sucking poisons that we breathe in day in and day out. When you're with nature, it's automatically far away from urban areas. Hence, the air is noticeably, visibly cleaner and purer. It's so pure, your lungs take some time to adjust to this unusually high level of cleanliness because it has been used to polluted air for so long. Lesson number four, you find out how far you can go mentally and physically. You see, you very rarely face any serious physical challenges in day-to-day -day life. The maximum is probably climbing three flights of stairs because the elevator isn't working temporarily. Hence, you have never known what that magnificent machine called your body is capable of. So in a sense, outdoor activity is spurred by curiosity, which by the way, is almost always the precursor to passion. You also find out how far you can go in your mind. They say the mind gives up way before the body does, probably at about 60% of the body's capacity. This by the way, is a default feature of our brains meant to protect us from destroying ourselves. But when it comes to challenges, the brain can be a bit of a spoiled sport. The fascinating question is how far can you successfully manage the mind-body dynamic? I have discovered that you start crossing the boundaries. When you start doing that, the mind is less of a nuisance and you get less of the often irrational fear of the body collapsing or being in the form of danger. This happens when you, through experience, know exactly how much stress your body can take and what it requires to keep it going in a specific environment and for a defined duration. Lesson number five, you connect to a network of like-minded people. I've been on many hiking, mountaineering, cycling expeditions, and some of my good friends were gained from those experiences. 
like during my adventures in Kyrgyzstan in Central Asia in 2014, I tried to climb my first 7,000 meter peak, just peak Lenin at 7,129 meters. Now, I badly underestimated the difficulty of alpinism. Now I was mentally and physically unprepared and had to turn back at 5,200 meters. Joining me were two relative youngsters, David Demarest from San Diego and Cameron Pitti from Melbourne. I instantly nicknamed them David Cameron. They turned back on Lenin as well, just like I did, due to exhaustion after making it to about 6,200 meters at Camp 3. So all of us failed. But the adventure wasn't a total failure because we suffered together and that unexpectedly bonded us despite the differences in age and nationality. Thankfully, David Cameron were a tough down-to-earth bunch who didn't take themselves too seriously. They also had a terrific sense of humor and they clicked immediately and laughed together during and after the climb, a lot. Cameron visited me in Dubai in 2016. Eight years later, David Cameron and I are still very much in touch and I hope we climb together again someday. Something similar happened during my grueling 10-day, 500-kilometer mountain biking expedition from Manali to Leh to Kadungla in India in 2013. About 22 of us cycled together through five mountain passes, camping at very remote locations at night before cycling again the next morning. It remains the one tough and most bizarre experience of my life. I made some great friends. And we are still in touch with an active WhatsApp group nine years later. The kind of people you often meet in outdoor activities are usually positive, fit, engaging, adventurous, and helpful. Lesson number six, you realize what you can control and what you can't. This is especially true in high altitude hiking and mountaineering where you are in close proximity to I had to confront the unpredictability of nature. Look, there is stuff that you can control, okay? These are mainly the quantity and quality of your gear, your physical preparation for the climb, like diet, training, sleep, etc. your mindset, your nutrition on the climb, selection of the right mountain guide, etc., etc. But there's also a lot you can't control, which mainly relate to nature, which can be wildly unpredictable and it's always uncontrollable. And it's mostly to do with the weather and the terrain. So you have crevasses, avalanches, high winds, snowfall, dust storms, rock falls, unstable rocks. But it's not all just about the mountains. Even your body behaves unpredictably and uncontrollably at high altitude, especially in its susceptibility to altitude sickness. You can be as fit and as experienced at high altitude as you want, but altered mountain sickness, also called AMS, can still hit you because it's partly your genes that makes you less or more susceptible to AMS. What all this does is make you very aware that what you plan and what happens can be two very different things. This also takes me neatly to my next point, which is point number seven. You will learn to deal with failure. Now, I've failed on three mountains so far. Peak Lenin in Kyrgyzstan 2014, Thalogiri 7 in Nepal in 2017, and Zojongo in Ladakh in 2022. By failure, I mean I didn't make it to the summit. The failure on Peak Lenin was the first, and it's true what they say, you never forget your first. It was also the toughest to handle, especially after spending four months training and three weeks of precious time away from work in the mountains. 
But the toughest part for me was the humiliation that came with the awareness that you were not good enough and not as good as you thought you were. It took me weeks to come out of that funk. The second failure on Dowligiri 7 was disappointing, but I recovered much faster within a few days. The recovery from the third failure on Zojongo was even faster. I realized long ago that unlike many sports, failure is an integral part of mountaineering. My friend Maria, for example, failed at Denali twice before making it on the third attempt, a process that took a decade. Many legendary mountaineers, including the man himself, Reinhold Messner, the first human to summit all 14 8000 meter peaks and that too without bottled oxygen have failed several times the big mountains if you can't handle failure you have no business climbing yes it can seem like a massive waste of time money and effort but if it's your passion then perhaps it's worth it failure makes you focus on the value of the journey and who you meet rather than just the destination i.e. the peak it's also worth doing for the many big benefits of being outdoors that i have mentioned in this episode failure also taught me several interesting things about myself for example i found that my mind almost always gives up before my body does and that i do much better with a large supportive team etc etc lesson number 8 you grasp the criticality of teamwork can of course cycle alone or climb alone although the last isn't recommended for safety reasons I've never climbed or cycled on an expedition alone and because of that I discovered the criticality of teams on several of my adventures why are teams critical one is to get inspired i've been impressed and inspired by some of the people i've met i've seen many examples of skill courage generosity physical stamina humility etc that has made me think of how much more i could do and how much far i have to go Another plus is the support. I specifically remember this incident at Mera Peak in Nepal in 2016 on summit night. I almost did not leave my tent for the summit at high camp at 5800 meters. Thanks to a fear of high winds and a worry about a slight fever that seemed to have suddenly developed at 11 p.m. But my tent buddy Fred Foster, a young 24 year old from London, cheered me up and reassured me and told me to gulp down some paracetamol. Seven hours later, I was at the summit, which at 6,476 meters remains my highest till date. I cringe when I think about how much my regret would have been had I stayed in that tent. On Kanyakche recently, I was roped by my fellow hiker, Shweet Tripathi, and we kept encouraging and guiding each other all the way to the summit and even back from the peak to the crampon point. Lesson number nine, you have fun. I have a well-developed sense of humor and I'm so strongly biased that it's actually one of my criteria for making good friends. Humor in the mountains is even more important to keep away the tedium of sitting for countless hours in camps. It's also required to manage the stress that comes with thinking of what lies ahead and to handle the occasional failure. Some of the best times I've had were due to the outrageously and wickedly funny people around me on expeditions. For example, on my 2014 Peak Lynn expedition, the three of us, Cameron Petty, David Demers, and myself, hit it off so well. We laughed so much even after our combined failure on the mountain. At times, it was almost farcical. With, for example, the creation by the three of us of the International Marmotology and Tamerlane Foundation (IMTF), where I was the secretary, 
marmots because they are small furry creatures that live in burrows in the mountains and we kept seeing them and tamerlane aka timur or taimur because that genocidal monster came from those parts in central asia on my july 2022 ladakh epi uh, expedition the quartet of shwet tripathi radesh sharma um, and naishad soneta plus me incidentally all five of us were chartered accountants so don't tell me that cas don't have a sense of humor we used to recall incidents vibe off each other and laugh so much that i distinctly recall once i had to walk out of the dining tent to get my breath back lesson number 10 learn to appreciate the conveniences of modern life when you are with nature unless you are glamping i.e. glamorous camping your conveniences are reduced to the bare minimum there's no wi-fi internet netflix whatsapp facebook instagram youtube books food deliveries etc etc you sleep without pillows or proper bed in cramped tents have no privacy as you're sharing tents often suffer the extreme cold especially late at night and early mornings eat whatever the cook makes shit and pee in a hole in the ground or behind a rock or bushes outside camp etc etc usually by the time an expedition ends i'm craving for civilization especially for my spacious apartment the big bed nice clean bathroom the huge variety of food on the delivery app on my phone and the scorching 40 degree dubai heat and promising myself i will never complain about the dubai climate again all this makes you grateful for what you have a sentiment i feel is solely lacking in many people nowadays lesson number 11 you realize the role of luck bad weather bad luck good weather good luck avalanche bad luck new crevasse opens up on the route bad luck you get hit with altitude sickness bad luck your fellow hikers cyclists are a fun friendly bunch good luck before outdoor adventure i never really believed in luck dismissing it as an excuse made by unprepared people people who are too lazy or ignorant to nail their goals that's probably largely true in many control situations where there's a strong and direct link between efforts and outcomes. An exam is a good example. The curriculum, the learning outcomes, the exam format, exam duration, exam admin rules, and even the way they ask questions are usually all clear well before the exam. There isn't much role for luck here. But when you step outdoors, you'll have to engage with Lady Luck, who is by definition someone who is unpredictable, uncontrollable, and whose effect can be widely positively significantly positive or negative you will believe in chance and accept it you have to and once you accept it the whole experience becomes far less stressful and more enjoyable and last but not the least lesson number 12 you achieve things you previously thought impossible when i think of some of the stuff that i pulled off I'm often struck with a sense of disbelief, even now, nearly a decade after it all went down. The ones that still stick with me vividly, summit night on Kilimanjaro in March 2011, you know, when I was slowly but almost sleepwalking up the mountain in the moonlit night, utterly quiet, and all I could see were silvery cloud banks many meters away on either side of me and nothing else. I didn't know what lay beyond or below those clouds. I couldn't see the summit. It felt scary and very bizarre. Another one I remember is cycling in August 2013 with 20 others 
on a flat, wide road, straight as far as I could see, at cold and dry high altitude, and through the vast emptiness of Ladakh in North India, with big mountains at the far distance, a stunningly blue sky. Something I, I never thought existed in such a congested, overpopulated country. Or cycling on the same trip in 2013, up from Leh city at 3,500 meters, to Kadungla Pass at 5,359 meters, a vertical climb of nearly two kilometers and a cycling distance of about 39 kilometers on an unprepared road. This was one grueling, epic eight hour saga, cycling slowly up to the mountain pass through increasingly thin and cold air as I gradually and painfully gained altitude. Thankfully, I was encouraged and guided throughout by one of the lead cyclists, a fantastic 55 year old who kept cycling behind me and kept regaling me with fascinating stories of his racing days and his days as a hepatologist to keep me motivated while I simply nodded and mumbled, yes, sir, too tired to do anything but push the pedals. It was a surreal experience. So that's my list of the dozen invaluable upsides of outdoor adventure. This is 100% based on my experience and what I went through physically, mentally, and emotionally. All of these experiences are unforgettable, and some of these trips are probably even worth repeating. I would advise head for the great outdoors wherever you are, whenever you can. There are hiking, running, cycling, etc. groups in many cities around the world. There are frequent and affordable flights to almost everywhere these days. Just go online and prepare for some transformational experiences that will stay with you for life. This is brought to you by The Real Finance Mentor. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you found it insightful and inspirational. If you did enjoy this episode, please drop us a review and spread the word. And be sure to check out more exclusive content on therealfinancementor.com and my LinkedIn profile, which is Binot Shankar CFA. Let's keep in touch. Just add your name to the mailing list on therealfinancementor.com and we'll tell you about new episodes, plus book reviews, upcoming events, and blogs. Till the next time, onwards and upwards.